Hello and welcome to another episode of Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host Stuart Neil, and joining me tonight is co-host Kevin Moore. Hello. Tonight we also have a very special guest in the form of Kevin Jaguar from Dragon Slumber Games. Hello Kevin. Peace in everyone. It's my catchphrase. I have to put it out there. Fair enough. So, Kevin, you got in contact through us uh, or with us through the um, our Twitter feed, and just asking to come on, and we're obviously more than happy to have you on. So, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, Well, as you mentioned, I am the founder of Dragon Slumber, which is an indie game company established in Quebec City, Canada. Uh, it was established in 2012, uh, or actually early 2013, to start work on Arrowlight Core, which was my first game. Uh, that game shipped uh, earlier this year in February. And I'm currently working on my second game, Astral Traveler, which is set to release on September 13th. So what about um, sort of your game playing history and things like that? Uh, sort of how old are you and sort of what generation then of um, consoles and things did you get into? Did you start with Pong? Well, <laughs> I, I didn't start with Pong, but almost. Well, uh, I was born in 82, so uh, I'm not I'm not that far off. Perfect. Uh, so I, I am pretty old. I grew up with the, uh, the NES and Super Nintendo mostly. Mm. Um, that actually my, my first game was, uh, retro styled because of that, because I, I love that, uh, that genre of games, um, Mm -hmm. all the, the, the retro JRPGs and whatnot. Mm. And over the years, uh, went to college. Um, I have a degree in computer sciences, so I am a programmer. I worked mostly in web development, uh, just, just where the, um, my professional path took me, but I did work for about three years as a Flash programmer back in the heydays mm-hmm. of Flash when it was uh, when it was pretty popular. Yeah. I was working for a, a small company which did promotional games for uh, which did outsourcing basically for companies like Disney and Nickelodeon. We did promotional mm-hmm. games for those uh, for those entities, and I worked for for that as a programmer for a few years. Oh, okay. Was that mostly sort of web-based games and things, or did it? were you still there whenever they were sort of maybe pushing that sort of things to um, mobile and what have you? Uh, most of it was web-based, so I worked uh, I worked on it between 2006 and 2009, so uh, mobile was not that big at that time. Uh, mm. We did a lot of, uh, of web-based, uh, you know, websites as well, websites dedicated to uh, those project, um, those products like uh, Sponge, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, for instance, yeah. um, or Avatar, and mm. uh, we did do a lot, uh, a few casual games as well, but they were they were all made in Flash. Back in the day, Flash was everywhere, yeah. right? So it, it was it yeah. was pretty big. We we uh, we shipped over uh, four hundred games. The company has shipped over four hundred games. Grief. So uh, <laughs> we 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 churned those out at like. Mm, maybe two months production per game, but we had uh, over a hundred employees at one point. So we had so many projects going on uh, at one time, and um, they also tried their hand at um, some 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 of their own brands as well. But that never turned out uh, uh, quite well. 
and uh, mm-hmm. eventually when i when i left i was actually laid off uh, it was pa- uh, it was part of a massive laying off because the market was shifting the the canadian dollar was was on the rise so our prices weren't as competitive so it was this big hubbub and uh, yeah the, the company it still exists today but it's it's not the same as uh, as back, it was back then mm. yeah so then you said you got laid off. What were you doing then in between um, that and starting up Dragon Slumber? Uh, I actually worked for a um, another company. We did uh, security in factories. So mm-hmm. there were people who went in, who, who provided some training for uh, chemical products and um, some kinds of safety measures. I was on the programming side for a website that did offer online training for for those situations basically uh i Mm. I worked there for about uh, seven to eight years i'd say and um yeah i i worked on the website i worked a lot on the back end i I worked on the um the um, producing the courses themselves i did a lot of um uh phone support uh support for customers so uh, i it was really it was Again, it was one of those one-man thing. Mostly, I did have have a boss, but I, I, a lot of it was done by me. So I was kind of got used to to working on my own and kind of managing uh, a project in that way. Oh, okay. So then, tell us about R Light Core. Um, obviously, then you've been working on it since um, sort of in around twenty thirteen. What's the What's the game about, and sort of what's the story um, behind it? So um, I started Arlite Core around May of 2012. Uh, back then, it was uh, I didn't even have the company Dragon Slumber. I just worked uh, by myself. I uh, I actually made my own engine for the game. Um, so Arlite Core is a uh, Japanese style RPG in the style uh, in the style of Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, all of those uh, those classic games from the SNES era. I at that time it wasn't called Airlight Core. There wasn't even a project. I just knew that I wanted to work uh, on a JRPG, basically. So I decided to create my own engine. Uh, it was still in the era of the 360, so I, I used the uh, the 360s um, framework, which was which is XNA, to uh, to be able to publish on that platform. That didn't come to pass because development just took too too much time on on this, sadly. And yeah, in, in 2013, uh, by, by 2013, I had the basics of the engine done, and that's really where I started to work on what the game itself would be. And Arlite Core is the story of Carden, who is a blacksmith. He ends up setting out uh, on a journey to kind of perfect his skills, uh, become a master blacksmith, basically learn from learn the trade from people all over the world, mm. and he encounters some nefarious forces. So <laughs> he he ends up becoming a little bit of a hero throughout the adventure, mm. and of course he he's joined by a, a colorful cast of uh, of characters as well as you might expect <laughs> from this type of game, as they always are. <laughs> Yes, of course. <laughs> Each must be as interesting uh, and more than the last, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the game itself, how much of it sort of is influenced by the JRPGs, and then how much of you kind of refined um, the sort of worst bits of um, traditional JRPGs, um, such as sort of the overly long playtime and what have you, and usually the sort of the end game grind. 
uh, do you actually get you um, up to the sort of level that you need for the final bosses and things like that? I, I definitely did a lot of refinement. So one of the first things I want uh, I did when I started work on Airlight Core is kind of look at um, all of those classic games and all of... I didn't want to take anything for granted, but I looked at all of those games and looked, okay, what are the great, uh, the great aspects? What are the, um, the elements that they might struggle with, especially when it comes to classic JRPGs? Um, one of the, the, the elements that I wanted to remove was grinding. I don't, I personally don't really like grinding. Mm. Um, I would much rather keep the, the player focused on the story and, Keep it going uh, at a at a steady pace, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no save point either. You can save at any time because awesome. it's 2017, and uh, <laughs> you yep. be able to You know, and and especially, um, I, I feel like I come at it from from my perspective as a gamer as well. Where maybe as a kid you have hours upon hours to play your games, but sometimes you just have a little 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and you you need to go fast. Well, you want to be able to save your game and continue. Uh, at any time basically Um, one of the the big aspects that I really worked on was the combat system Mm -hmm. where I I, the last thing I wanted was for it to devolve into a series of just attacking and mashing the A button until you defeat the enemies which a lot of traditional JRPGs end up being Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, I added a lot of depth to it it. I added a combo system Uh, I replaced magic with kind of a super meter uh, I took a lot of inspiration from fighting games, actually. Um, there's a stand system where you can customize your characters to um, to kind of set them up in a specific way to really uh, uh, be able to take advantage of their, their stats. Uh, you can stun the enemies. Like, there's a lot of elements that, that, that are brought in to really um, pro- give a lot of options to the player and really allow them to establish a, um, a good strategy for combat basically oh, okay very good what sort of playtime are you looking at then for it uh the game takes about 20 25 hours it so i complete it i can complete it under 10 hours when i skip the cutscenes yeah and <laughs> when you uh because you can skip the cutscenes that's another uh, element that i really wanted to to have yeah mm-hmm. that's nice um and when you um when you play all the way through in the quote unquote normal fashion it takes about 20 to 25 hours okay um so th- that kind of shows how much um how much investment there is in the story itself mm-hmm. like it's about half and half it's not really focused on the uh the combat and all of that yeah. and mm-hmm. also there are there are items to avoid uh, uh encounters so you can even reduce those if uh, if need be mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> so you could speed run this then. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, and uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, games done quick. Uh, I absolutely love the um, the marathons that they put up. I love speed runs. Yep. And speed runs was one of the things that I definitely looked at when I was working on this game. Um, one of the one of the elements that I added uh, might sound silly, but you can rename the characters. Originally, I didn't even intend to be able to rename the characters in the game. But mm-hmm. the reason why I added the functionality is because they often have um, drives, you know, additional money you can invest to, uh, you can donate to kind of name the characters in a, uh, a specific game. Yeah. So I wanted to give that option in case my game was 
uh, on a marathon of some sort. Ah, yeah, good move. And people love it. I mean, everyone seems to rename their character, so it really <laughs> turned out well for me. <laughs> so behind the game is probably a lot, uh, a much more interesting story is just about you and uh, your company. The first question then is, was it a hard decision to set up your own company? And how did you financially support yourself um, before having a finished game to sell? So I I founded Dragon Slumber in 2013. Uh, so officially founded, registered, uh, uh, have my papers and all of that. But at the time, I was also working a full-time job with my um, uh, web development training company. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually only quit that early this year in, two- in January 2017. So during those four years, I still had a full-time job and I had um, basically low living wage, right? So I, I live in a small apartment. I don't have a family to sustain. I don't really go out, especially not anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that money that, that I made uh, through my my career job at the time was being funneled into the game and paid for all of the contract work that I had to do. I call it a a, a single a um uh, one man development, but it's really unfair because there's so many great artists who I contracted to do the art for the monsters, the um the locations, the backgrounds. Overall, over twenty different artists worked on the game so it, it actually became a uh, pretty big production at, at some point um, i've had a look sort of at the website and things like that and then i saw the amount of people that you had used so obviously you contracted out bits and pieces of the development how do you as a developer go about sourcing artists and did you have any issues during that process um most of my uh so i put out a lot of ads i guess uh, to try to find artists to uh, ask them to contact me um, DeviantArt turns out to be an excellent source uh, for artists looking for this kind of work and I've found a lot of uh, amazing artists through that, mm-hmm. uh, people with whom I've worked for years and years. Oh, okay. um, on the downside, there are a lot of issues that come with uh, hiring people, um, hiring artists. One, one of the bigger issues that I, that I found is that you can find some really great artists who are able to do amazing work, but they're not necessarily able to churn out the work at a really fast pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you end up you end up with longer schedules and you need to do a lot of follow-ups. It does become a lot of management at that point, kind of an extra source of stress also because, you know, a lot of a lot of game development is timing based and mm-hmm. you want to do your marketing, you want to integrate it into the game all all of that stuff. And there were also some, uh, frankly, catastrophic situations where uh, I hired early on as a naive first year uh, business owner. Um, I hired a Indian firm actually to um, to help with the development. And they, they, they had a website, they had references. Mm. Uh, they seemed to be doing awesome work. Um, so I, I hired them to do nearly every aspect, uh, in every, uh, nearly every visual aspect. Yeah. So mm-hmm. locations and some characters and, uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. It's a pretty big game. <laughs> and what ended up happening was, 
a lot of excuse, a lot of excuses over uh, a few months. Um, a lot of, um, you know, it, it took a while uh, until they started actually providing work. Mm-hmm. And they, the work that they were providing was pretty bad, actually. Uh, nothing compared to what they were they were showcasing and what they had provided in their portfolio. Uh oh. Um, it was actually, you know, it was first grade level. <laughs> yeah. Art, bad art. It's it's it was absolutely abysmal. Oh dear. And um, so and I called them out all the time, and I I, I would. I would tell them it's unacceptable. I, I need better work. I need better work. And um, the my my contact over there kept saying, "Oh yeah, d- don't worry. We're gonna change it. It's gonna be to your liking." And you know, months and months later, we we were not there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there were there were sporadic moments of quote unquote greatness, at least for them. <laughs> <laughs> And then I discovered that those were traced from other assets on the internet. <laughs> so uh, there, there was plagiarism going on as well. Um, so long story short, I ended up cutting ties with them. It was, it was again, it was my first year of doing business and figuring things out. I had paid in advance. They were in uh, India, so there was no way I was going to get that back. Mm. I, I did make some some uh, some attempts i even hired a lawyer in india for a while uh that didn't go anywhere uh, and then um after a while i just ended up cu- uh, cutting ties and i lost like ten thousand dollars to uh, to that wow. process alone yeah uh first year first year of development of airlight core <laughs> first game i'm making i immediately lose ten thousand dollars and um like frankly, I I almost I would have quit at that time. Like it was, it was so heartbreaking. Mm. But thankfully, there was one um, there was one silver lining, which is back when I hired that Indian company, um, which no longer exists, by the way. But I think they just changed names mm-hmm. and uh, they do still. Yep. Yeah. I thankfully also hired another artist, um, Nerissa Dyson, uh, from the Philippines. And she did absolutely amazing work. Uh, if you look at the monster designs, that's her. A lot of the monster animations, that's her. Uh, characters, uh, character profiles, that's her. So really, through her amazing work, that kind of sustained me and that... Like I did not want to throw away the amazing work mm. that she did, mm-hmm. so I just I cut my losses and I went okay. What well, sucks? We're moving on, and I, I, uh, I fought to get back on top of things. And uh, it wouldn't be the only difficult moment during that four-year development, but yeah, just comes to show that no matter what the obstacles are, you just gotta be tenacious and uh, uh, work until the job gets done. Yeah, damn sight more tenacious than I was. It, not only did you lose $10,000, though, you've also lost a lot of time. You know, while you've been sat around waiting for these assets to come back, surely that's been quite off-putting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think I hired them around February of 2013, yeah. and it was around August that I ended up... <laughs> 
officially cutting. It, it really took a lot of time. And the reason is because it, they didn't start work until May or June. Mm. So, uh, you know, live and learn. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't have any, uh, I didn't have any experience and I didn't know what, uh, what I was getting into. And, uh, um, I am hoping that there are some devs that listen to this and, kind of learned from my experience um one of the things that i no longer do is pay in advance (laughs) i i i I pay per milestones and i'm i'm a really quick payer because i don't like to to have debt debt uh lingering over me but i no longer pay in advance for for that reason Hmm. and uh if, if in some cases it does mean that i uh uh i have to not work with some people but um that that's just how it goes yeah no, that's fair enough. With the issues and things that you were having with um, getting assets and things like that, was there a particular reason why you decided not to use something a little bit more simple like RPG Maker? Um, I So RPG Maker wouldn't have helped as far as the visual assets. Uh, I, I wanted to have a 100% uh, original game. I didn't want to reuse anything from um, any other game. And I, I you know, I wanted, to, I wanted Airlight Core to have its own distinctive, uh, distinctive look. From the programming standpoint, I really wanted to have the freedom to do whatever I wanted. Uh, in 2012, I believe uh, RPG Maker was not as um, complete a package as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, a little more difficult to edit a lot of the gameplay mechanics behind them. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, actually, that I, I did, you know, even beyond the whole fighting system that I implemented, mm. uh, that I that I wanted for my game and it was kind of it was kind of seeing ahead and saying well what happens planning for the ideas that i didn't have basically and i was concerned that by going with rpg maker um if i whatever ideas that i might have i might not be able to implement them as easily uh, and as smoothly as if i was doing everything from the ground up myself yeah good point you said you developed it in XNA. Have you at any stage had to shift it over to a different language or uh, developing tools or anything like that? No, but uh, I actually tried. I uh, I did uh, work with XNA, uh, which is programmed with C Sharp. Mm-hmm. I had actually never done C Sharp before uh, starting work on Arrowlight Core, but C Sharp is actually pretty similar to... Uh, uh, Visual Basic .NET, which I was doing daily, so mm. it was a quick a- a- adaptation on that front. So one of the big d- uh, problems with XNA is that you you it doesn't work on non Windows platforms. Mm-hmm. It theoretically works on the on the Xbox 360, but you know that's no longer supported. So I I couldn't port to Mac. I couldn't port to Linux, um, and I I did try to changed my code base to FNA, uh, which is kind of a um, an offset of XNA that implements a lot of uh, a lot of it's it's supposed to be, uh, to basically be uh, you you change your libraries around and um, you know the the code behind my engine basically for the non tech savvy uh, listening mm. and it would have uh, theoretically made it compatible with those other platforms. Yeah. But you know things are never as simple as they seem. <laughs> no. uh, I I put a I put a few days on it to to try to make it work, but it was also in the uh, in the heavy times when I was trying to really get Airlight Core going, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately I had to drop it because I was having too many issues, which I couldn't 
rapidly solve. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, I had an engine that at that time I knew worked and was working pretty well. There was a few optimizations to be done, but I was very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And the dangers are, well, if I switch languages now, I, I might solve the problems tomorrow. I might solve them in a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't want to take that risk and uh, add extra time, extra development time to a project which uh, was originally supposed to take two years and ended up taking 4.5 before I launched. Sort of from a financial backing sort of standpoint, what have you, an awful lot of uh, sort of developers and new developers and old developers um, are turning to things like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or uh, numerous other sort of funding platforms and things like that. Did you ever actually consider using um, something like Kickstarter for our Core? I actually did, and um, there is a secret page on Kickstarter with all of the Aerolite core information, and uh, I just need to press go, and it would have been sent out. And ultimately, I didn't do it. Uh, It was, quote-unquote, on the tail end of Kickstarter. I I think right now, Kickstarter is really struggling to... um, A lot of people going on Kickstarter even with you know some amazing projects are just struggling to get the the financing because mm. a lot of backers have been burned in the past and they they are no longer willing to to take as many risks as the as during the early days of the platform mm. and you know beyond that doing a kickstarter kind of takes a lot of management uh, you have to be there. Uh, you have to really dedicate yourself to that. You need to really be communicative, put the message out there to attract people. There's a lot of Kickstarters going on, so there's a lot of noise you need to cut through. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I decided whatever amount I might need, I didn't feel like Kickstarter was the right way just because if I... Um, you know, I I expected to be uh, to invest all of this time into it and not necessarily be able to uh, to get the financing that I that I needed. So mm-hmm. I decided to um, set it aside. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kickstarter sort of notorious for a lot of games um, either failing to meet their targets or um, failing to potentially deliver um, on some of the things that they promised, like that. Some of the other sort of physical media, like board games, won't have you seem to be a little bit better. But within that. There does seem to be an awful lot of work um, has to go on behind with Kickstarter. Um, even if you do get the funder campaign, there's still an awful lot of work to be done, um, sort of letting all your funders know what's going on, things like that. And I suppose even with you then working both a full-time job and working on our light core, that would have been an awful lot more time um, that you would have needed to sort of keep that Kickstarter thing going. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I anticipated. I anticipated more work on... Not directly uh, the uh, our light core itself, but all of the backer elements that that I might have added, that I might have promised. Um, you know, it, I'm the kind of guy who who wants to go big or go home, uh, <laughs> which is great because I work from home. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm if I'm going to have a a Kickstarter, I want to have one uh, one of the elements that I had on my uh, Kickstarter were patches, kind of like the Atari patches uh, that they would give up, uh, give out in the eighties mm-hmm. uh, when you would have a high score. Yeah, uh, like, like th- those sounded cool. So you know what? Oh, it sounds cool. I want it in my Kickstarter, and um, in that sense, I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't go through with it because yeah, like like you said, it's it's a lot of work and. You know, let's say I ask for $10,000. Well, I'm not receiving $10,000. Once you take away uh, Kickstarter, once you take away whatever 
t uh, money that I might have spent to um, to promote the Kickstarter because you do need to promote it mm -hmm. uh, a lot uh, leading up to it. Uh, whatever backer rewards that I have, like those, all get taken away. So uh, in the end, you know, it's not like you're you're left with nothing, but it's it's a lot less than um, than you might think. So uh, if to make ten thousand dollars, I need to ask for twenty. Well, that's already super difficult to reach, and uh, you know, that it yeah. becomes even less plausible that I'll be able to be successful at it. Mm -hmm. And ironically, as well, the work that you would pour into that to get that to a ten thousand dollars. It would be off. It would make your whole project so long-winded. You know, you would potentially put yourself back another six months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. With our light core taking then four years or four and a half years of development, obviously back in twenty sort of thirteen, JRPGs based on sort of nineties uh, that sort of style of uh, JRPG wasn't massively popular you seem to have got very lucky and hit sort of a nice little bubble <laughs> yeah. of people being interested in that genre again. Over the last sort of then four and a half years, how much do you think the games industry has changed? I have seen a massive change, definitely. Just in terms of how many developers there are. When I started in 2012, it it still was a small in small ish industry mm -hmm. but the amount of games that are released each year basically doubles if if it doesn't double it's close to that so mm. if you double each year at some point you know there there's just an overload of games and a lot of them are really really great polished works you know I, i'm i'm kind of gonna spoil the ending here but <laughs> Uh, our light core did not do great on the market at all mm -hmm. um it it sold several hundreds of copies when it needed to sell several thousands to be able to oh, uh, wow. to recoup development, yeah. um, and that that's not paying myself either. That's just the the money that I invested uh, in the artists and whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it it didn't make back its its money at all. And the original plan when I worked on it was to release in 2014. And I I think if I had released back then, uh, if if the game had been completed it would have been a much, much bigger success than releasing early 2017. Mm. You know, games like Undertale uh, came out as well, which uh, kind of redefined expectations for what a JRPG can be. And I think that retro games are kind of on... They are dying out a little bit. I think there a lot of retro games and uh, came out, and they're not as popular as they once were. Mm -hmm. So that that definitely ended up hurting me as well, uh, as far as you know, putting out the, this game, which I love. But uh, <laughs> sometimes it's just a matter of the uh, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, certainly on Steam, there are sort of a hundred plus odd games get released every week. And it's very, very hard for any one of those individual games unless it's done by sort of a larger company or seems to just sort of attract the right sort of journalists who give that little sort of boost um, to its advertising and what have you that seem to sort of float to the top. But so many of them just seem to disappear. They're still on Steam. They're still maybe selling um you know copies um every so often particularly if you know whenever the sales and what have you come around and obviously the developers and things are looking for you know as many positive reviews as possible that they can get on those games to help and sort of at least raise the profile a little bit 
But yeah, as a developer, it's I'm sure it's very, very hard just to get your game seen by people. You know, you can use things like Thunderclap and even Twitter and things like that, but it's still a very difficult proposition. It, it definitely is, and if if there's one lesson that I uh, that I learned after working on Airlight Core is, and even that I'm lear- learning right now, work on your marketing. Marketing is so important, and it you need uh, you, and by you I mean all of the devs out there. Do not wait until your game is done. Do not wait until the last two weeks to put out your game and it needs to be continuous i think nowadays they especially on the the indie side there's this expectations that the indies will be in constant communication with their audience and uh, talk a lot show a lot of development screenshots involve the uh, your your audience in the process it's um promoting it itself is a is a full-time job and uh, as you say there there are a lot of a lot of great developers out there there are a lot of great games being put out every single day i believe so recently uh steam changed the way they they publish smaller games they switched to uh, steam direct mm-hmm. and in the first seven weeks there was a statistics in the first seven weeks of steam direct over a thousand games were added to the steam library wow. so <laughs> It, it is massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every at that point, every game kind of becomes a drop in the, uh, in the bucket and you have to distinguish yourself. You have to go to shout out every single day to, to kind of, you know, get the attention of, uh, of an audience, get the attention of the media. As for myself, I'm, I do a lot of streaming uh, towards the tail end of... Um, of our light core, I started streaming game development on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was doing, uh, while I had my for, uh, my full time job, I did about ten hours a week. Now I do thirty five. So I do a lot of streaming. I connect with people. I I, I chat with them, and it's fun. Uh, like I really enjoy streaming as well. I enjoy that conversational process, and it kind of. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of game dev is not glamorous. Uh, we do <laughs> just as much copy and pasting as in any other digital field. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that really uh, makes it a lot more fun for me as well. Mm-hmm. With the streaming and what have you, do you get more devs following you? Or is it more um, actual gamers and things wanting to see this sort of process and things? I'd say a little bit of both, but overall devs are you know devs overall not necessarily game devs Mm -hmm. but a lot of programmers a lot of uh you know aspiring game devs as well uh drop in um a lot of people involved with the industry some some music people for instance so yeah but not there are a few gamers but not as many and i think a lot of it is you know game game dev is long and it shows a lot of code and um you know for each four hour session that i do maybe i'll play the game for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. 20 half an hour spread out so um that's just the reality of making a game um so i don't think it's necessarily interesting in a day-to-day manner for them mm-hmm. for for gamers but a lot of them kind of drop by every week every two weeks and they kind of get a feel for how the game has evolved as well so uh there's there's the regulars and the irregulars um <laughs> and i appreciate all of my viewers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So by the time um, this podcast will be released, um, your new game Astral Traveler should be out that week. It seems to be a, well, from what I've seen um, sort of on the Steam page and what have you, it looks to be a single player shoot 'em up and um, obviously that's a massive departure from the JRPG. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? Okay, so basically I looked at Aerolite Core and I said, okay, what is not Aerolite Core? <laughs> What's the opposite? And it, it is, it, it might have been, it might as well be exactly the opposite. <laughs> um, one of the big problems with Aerolite Core was it cost a lot of money to buy a lot of assets. Uh, there's over a hundred di- different monsters, a- all animated, a-, a bunch of backgrounds, a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. That Those costs kept adding up. So I knew that for my next game, I wanted something that was more focused on the gameplay itself. Uh, I wanted something in 3D because I think it's easier with today's tools to do something that's good enough with 3D mm-hmm. as opposed to 2D where I think the expectations are a lot higher and the the tools for non-artists are not as good. Mm-hmm. I wanted something fast-paced because I wanted... So for our like core, because it's story-driven, it took a lot of time before I got to play the game in a state that felt like it would be the final product. It, it took years, in fact. Yeah. Um, so I wanted something that would feel like the actual game really early on. So I... I opted for a um a fast-paced game um and what i what i landed on is kind of this hybrid between f-zero uh, tempest 2000 um it's kind of a racing game but it's also a platformer you you do uh, it is single player and uh it's it kind of takes uh, some inspirations from uh, endless runners as well but it's not endless mm-hmm. it is in in set levels and basically, you, you kind of leap around and uh, jump over holes. You shoot down enemies that, that go to you. Um, there's these blue orbs floating on the field where when you get close to one, you can tap your phase button, which lets you move through them, which gives you a burst of speed. Mm-hmm. So it's this. It, it ends up being this kind of frenetic racing type of game where you're always avoiding all of these obstacles and going really fast and you know trying to to reach the end of, and obviously score score on the the leaderboards as well mm. what was the development time then on astral traveler so i started uh, astral traveler i is not a solo project i am working with a turkish developer boroganel we started talking about it around november of last year mm-hmm. he, wow. he started in december yeah, so it was it was a pretty fast turnaround overall. No kidding. Uh, he started in December. I finished work on Aerolite Core in February. It launched in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still had a few extra things that I needed to do after that, but that's basically where I started. Mm-hmm. And we did hire one artist to do uh, the ship and two of the enemies that we encountered during the game. So overall, really fast development. Uh, it ended up taking se- well, it took me seven months. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, there's about two years of work between us two. Yeah, um, which is a lot longer, by the way, than what we were expecting. We were <laughs> we were looking for a lot. Th- this was, you know, it's it's the curse. It's tough to to plan the uh, the the time it'll take to make a game. We were we were looking to release end of May, June, July around that time, yeah. uh, and we are launching in September. So it did take a little more time than expected. You know, it 
Second game, it's still a learning process, and uh, I, I've learned, even though it's a short, short uh, development cycle, I can say that I've learned just as much on this project uh, as I have on my previous one. Mm. Um, this is my, also my my first Unity project, so uh, okay. Unity really helped out to really accelerate that process. He was a little more familiar with it, so uh, he he really took the lead on a lot of the programming aspects, mm. uh, which really helped out. That's something I was going to ask you about, actually. You know if Unity had been available when you started out on Aralite Core, do you think you'd have used it, or would you have still made your own engine? Now, that is the million-dollar question. <laughs> I feel I... W- you know what? I think I would would have used Unity. Okay, so if if I started Airline Core tomorrow, knowing what I know now, mm. uh, and especially know having this level of experience with Unity, I think I would have. Yeah. If I had not, uh, if I had not worked on Astral Traveler and I had not done any work on Unity, I'm not sure that I would have been convinced with its. Um, uh, 2D applications. Yeah. Mm. But I did did a few tests and test in 2d and i i know that it can support it so uh yeah i think i i definitely would and it would have solved a few uh, a few issues like the multi-platform issue as well uh, which would yeah. have been uh yeah. pretty nice uh you know one of the the advantages of not creating your own engine is a lot of the optimization stuff is done already for you so you can spend more time developing the game and not developing the back end to, to sustain it. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of work to be done, of course, oh, but yeah. um, I, I I do think that it would have saved, you know, at least maybe six months, <laughs> probably more of development. But, you know, Un- Unity really evolved since 2012 as well, so yeah. uh, I don't think in back then it would have been suitable for a project like this. Mm. How long did you actually spend writing the plot? Because obviously you've got to actually have the whole plot for um, Aralite Core ready to go, you know, ready and realized. How long did you actually spend thinking up the idea and thinking up the actual storyline, roughly? It didn't take that long. So the original script was written in about three weeks, I would say. All right. Uh, I I really focused on uh, just writing the script from, you know, the story from beginning to end. I would say that about the later drafts, it it would end up being a lot lot bigger than the, uh, the early script. Yeah. But also, I did change a lot of things around. You know, the, I had I had one of uh, I had a really weird issue where I I had this character Ibram, who is kind of this uh, this monk in the mountains, kind of lives near a um, a desert village, and I had this character which I thought was interesting, but I for the lo- like for for years and years I did not like the character because he was bland he 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 never had proper motivation uh, for like he he felt like a tagalog yeah. and i i i had no real purpose to like he was included in some sections and i kept moving around where he came into the the story and it was a really you know, if there is one advantage to working on a game for this long, it's it's that something like this where I didn't know what to do with the character, and I'm really happy with the end result. Like I, I at some point I just had this click. Oh, it's all about this. And once I I gave the character, I I don't want to spoil it because you know no. stories yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> but once I figured out uh, what the character was about, it really 
really ended up being a, a much more interesting character. Ah. With Astral Traveler taking um, a much shorter uh, development time relatively, do you think you will go back to something the scale um, of our light core? Or will you be sticking with shorter projects from now on? I have not decided what my next project is going to be. Uh, I do have some some free DLC coming out for our light core. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some content that I had intended for the game, which I ended up having to cut, uh, including some new monsters and all of that stuff that I already had produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I do intend to finish those off, uh, finish those off, and um, update the game. Oh, okay. But yeah, um, so I I do have that DLC planned. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I I have like probably like four very different game drafts that I I worked on uh, in my spare time I guess when when I was just <laughs> too exhausted to work on some on uh, astral traveler you know it, it's tough to to there's always new ideas coming out and you, you always the grass is always greener yeah. on the other side so oh this project I want to do this other project but <laughs> you know you, you can't really dedicate yourself until you finish but i do have the these these projects and i i do want to do an analysis uh on all of these figure out which i should uh which i should go for next i'm likely to be working alone uh stri- mostly strictly alone on this one mm-hmm. um so i i kind of you know um i think being having a game company as a business and having that as your your main source of income kind of means that you have to, you can't just run and say, well, this is my passion project. I'm going to go with my passion project because I, I, you know, as great as that would, that might be, it might not, especially in today's uh, ecosystem, it might not put food in, uh, on the table. You yeah. might end up working yeah. for uh, on it for so long. And in the end you have this great game, but if it doesn't feed you, then that's gonna be an issue as well. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I, I kind of have to look at all of these games and figure out what can I do on my own. What am I going to uh, to need to hire people for? What are the uh, expected number of buyers? How much outreach can I do and interest people? It it kind of g- gets very surgical and mm. you know it's 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 kind of an, a very unsexy thing to to present <laughs> it doesn't mean that the games themselves aren't going to be great like i'm i'm very passionate about all of them there there's one that's a kind of a metroidvania mixed with well i don't want to throw too many of my ideas out there. <laughs> um, spoilers but but you know you know what i mean like i i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't go into a project if I didn't feel like I didn't have something new and different yeah. and um, just just interesting that I was passionate about, so uh, I, I'm I'm passionate about all of these. It's just a matter of mixing passion with pragmatism, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you think the ecosystem for games at the minute do does favor um, developers who have a quick turnaround on their games, um, sort of get them out as quickly as possible, and then move on to the next their next project or whatever? Or do you think there's still room there for the developers who take a little bit longer over them, put a little bit more love into them, and things like that? I think if you put a little amount of uh, loving, as you say, uh, into the project, uh, it it better really, really, really stand out it needs to be something you know really outstanding mm-hmm. one of the games uh of, of i believe it was released this uh, this year is owl boy mm-hmm. 
I, I believe Owlboy took seven years to make overall. So, yeah. you know, that's a really, really big commitment to to making a game. So once, you know, every extra moment that you spend on your game, your game has to pay for that moment that you're investing in it if you're doing uh, um, doing this full time. You know, I, I think that the gaming industry is bigger than people realize sometimes. There are other venues like casual games. As gamers, we don't, we often, uh, as hardcore gamers, I should say, we, we don't often think about the casual games uh, market, but it can be another venue as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's so difficult to say what is the best approach. You know, games like Flappy Bird sell a billion copies. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, who, who's to say what is the next uh, viral hit? What is, the, what is going to be successful? What is going to be lost and forgotten? Like some, some great games end up getting lost as well. So mm. I, I think what really matters is that you... Uh, again, again, game devs need to really not just work on their game, but they need to put a lot of thought and effort into how are they going to promote their game? How are they going to to put it out there? Mm. And as far as, as having smaller games, I think one of the advantages is that theoretically, as you release new games, you meet new people and, you know, it, it, it should get a little bit easier to to put your your new games out there, especially if they're good. If you're just putting out crap, then no one is going to want to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, if you're just throwing out shovelware, yeah. So you, you need you need to put out some great games, uh, but you do need to have a fast enough turnaround as well to be able to uh, to afford the next one. Particularly the mobile market, what have you, has really exploded sort of over the last. Um, say five years and what have you. Yeah. Um, to the extent where you know you go onto the marketplaces and what have you, and there is just so much choice there as well. Um, for the, a variety of different games, you know, different genres as well, and that is based on. There's still some big games out there, but it's a lot more sort of the casual play, things that you can maybe pick up and play with for about five ten minutes or so. Um, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, the the, mar- the mobile market definitely really exploded. Uh, you know, as much as I might I might talk about Steam and how many games are out there on the mobile market, it's so much worse. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, it's I don't think it's easier to make a dollar on the mobile market either. It's I th- I on the contrary, I think it's a lot more difficult because there are so many games. And the audience kind of expects a lot of free games. So you need to be able to... How do you make money off a free game? Well, you need to, to have all of this extra content. You ha- need to have retention uh, of your audience. And it becomes equally, if not more, clinical than what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who um, worked on a game for like 12 to 18 months, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has 500 downloads of his free game. 500 downloads is never going to pay for, never even going to come close to whatever he had to invest to make that. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that that's just the, the reality of it. Um, you, you kind of see these, these huge success. I, you know, even, even for Steam, we, we end up seeing these huge successes, even as far as indie games go, and we see, oh, 
you know, this game and that game, I was talking about Owlboy, and it, it's easy to, to believe, well, you know, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. This, look at this one game that 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 uh, was so, so promoted and made so much money. But the reality is that it, it is a lottery ticket, and uh, uh, statistically, you're far more likely to, uh, to not make uh, money on your game than you are to uh, turn a profit. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to be aware of that, and there are ways to mitigate that uh, with shorter dev cycles and, you know, cutting out a, a bit of the fluff that you might have really wanted to add, but, you know, ultimately might not be problematic if it's not there mm-hmm. and you know you, you just gotta you just gotta again balance out that pragmatism with that passion mm-hmm. yeah for every band that's playing in a st- stadium somewhere you've got a thousand bands that are still playing in a club exactly yeah <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> what sort of games and things are you currently playing and enjoying um so i treated myself to something nice uh fairly recently i bought an oculus rift Ooh. Yes, it, and so right now the answer is I'm playing Astral Traveler because <laughs> I am launching soon, so I don't have time to play anything else. <laughs> but I did buy an Oculus Rift. I did have a time to try out a few things. I for I've played about five hours of it, maybe mm-hmm. across uh, five to ten games, maybe. Oh, okay. I absolutely love it. I am really enjoying Oculus. I'm really enjoying the. Um, uh, the touch controls, like being able to move your hands in, in uh, the 3D environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is a really different experience. And I have to say, before I bought it, I, I kind of, you know, people, people tend to be wowed by VR and, oh, it's this great experience, it'll change your life. I gotta say, I, I really, really connected with it in a way that I did not, uh, anticipate a lot of the games that I've played were not super polished. Uh, people are still a lot of people wanted to hit the ground running. They put out uh, a lot smaller games, mm-hmm. yeah, less you know less in depth games. Um, there's a lot of quick conversions which don't necessarily work well either. But I did play Robo Recall, which is this kind of first person. Uh, shooter, um, you know, not twin stick shooter. You hold a gun in both hands, basically. That's the that's the beauty of mm-hmm. uh, of it. And Sounds awesome. It is this absolutely immersive um, experience. Uh, it's made by Epic Games, so it's it's not an indie game, but boy, it is a polished experience. One of the really cool things about it is just you you have pistols in both of your hands. And you kind of have a button near the uh, the inside of your your hand that you can use to release to drop whatever you're holding in the game. So you're you're not dropping the whole the controller, you're just uh, releasing the button. Mm-hmm. And you can use that to throw your guns at your enemies and just grab more <laughs> guns at your hips. It's it's really really crazy, and it kind of shows a lot of the potential for what VR can do. I think uh, the controls are really spot on. The uh, the movement of your character is really spot on, and yeah, I, I amongst those those games I'm looking forward to. I I would love to make a VR game. I am once I, I'm done with Astral Traveler, I will be looking into Unreal Engine Four as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Unity does support VR as well, but I'm 
I kind of want to look into uh, all of my options before selecting my next game. So I will be looking into that. I want to I want to make a, a few small games, and I definitely want to try out some some VR because boy, that was those experiences. It's a shame that the the market isn't there yet because it is so fun. Yeah. I I mm. really can't do it. It seems to be struggling on all fronts though, doesn't it? Because even Sony are still not really getting the PSVR message across. Yeah, I think it's struggling. Uh, the price point really didn't help out on that. No. Uh, you know, Oculus released at what six, seven hundred, really uh, above what uh, people were expecting. They were expecting around four hundred uh, USD. Yeah. So they they had a sale this summer, which is why I ended up getting uh, VR myself, just because uh, I wanted to take advantage of that sale. Mm. And I know that um, they're coming up with a, a new headset uh, next year. Vive went on sale as well. I believe the PlayStation uh, is now uh, bundling with the camera as well. So, you know, they, they are trying to really create that audience base. And I kind of, you know, I don't think VR is going to replace traditional gaming because it is a lot more elaborate. You need to put the headset, you need to kind of create the right conditions for yourself. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I do hope that it, it increases and that uh, I, I see a lot of potential for awesome experiences that otherwise would not be possible with just keyboard, mouse, and uh, a gamepad. Yeah. Mm. For me, a lot of the sort of the barrier to VR is, it's again, that's looking at that price point. You know, whenever you look at the mobile VR, which is, it's not too bad for what it is. But, you know, sort of at the high end, you've got the Daydream and you've got the uh, the Gear VR for the Samsung phones. And you're looking at maybe sort of 60, 70 pound or so for the headsets. But then that's a massive leap up um, for the even for the PSVR at about 350. And then it's another massive leap on top of that um, up to the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive. And then it's the fact that you also have to make sure that your PC hardware is up to spec um, for the sort of the full scale PC versions as well. That's an awful lot of outlay for what is currently a reasonably sort of small market. Yes, there are some big games out there, but are those big games enough to sustain the market there? You know, a lot of other teams and developers and things are putting out what basically amount to sort of tech demos mm. um, to an extent. And I think that's what is sort of putting it off on an awful lot of people. It's also the fact that with VR, it takes off or takes out the social aspect of um, sort of gaming as well. It really does isolate you. Even on sort of the mobile headsets and things, you still feel very isolated from whoever else may or may not be in the room from you. Yeah, don't play them on a train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't play them on a plane either. There's plenty of places you shouldn't play VR. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think I, I, I think they're very aware of that too. Mm -hmm. um, one of the the rumors circulating is a kind of a standalone oculus next year, which would stand between the oculus rift and the gear VR. Oh, okay. so it would be it would allow for bigger experiences, but it would I, I think it's it would be self-contained as I understand it. yeah. So, um, and I know, I believe it's Microsoft who, who recently put out some, um, or who, who is tech dem demoing some controllers which don't require sensors. So you can still move your hands in 3D and rotate them and 
do all the uh, the cool stuff mm-hmm. but you don't need to set up your room for that yeah. specifically okay. so tech tech is actually moving forward and although we're not going to be there quite yet mm-hmm. you know i'm at least hopeful that a lot of this is going to uh to become a little more commonplace in the upcoming years I actually think that uh, AR and VR are kind of going to merge at some point mm. and we're just going to because, you know, basically AR is just VR, but you're not covering the entire screen. So yeah. you could theor- theoretically do uh, VR and AR together. I'm sure you could do it on the Vive as well, since the Vive does have a, uh, a camera on it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, maybe as the headsets go down or uh, um, go down in price, but also become less intrusive in your face, then people will be a little more receptive, hopefully, because I think it's really cool. Yeah. I want to see more of it. <laughs> I'm hoping to try out a little bit more of it um, at a, a, an upcoming EGX convention, the Eurogamer convention over in the UK um, at the end of September. So I had a little go on the PSVR last year, but again, it was it was just a a diving tech demo, which while it was very impressive, it, you didn't feel as if you were interacting with it in any way. You were just experiencing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to get sort of a hands on with um, some of the other um, kit and what have you this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like you said, there there are there are some great um, pieces of work on the PSVR, but it's such a pain to actually set it up. Like you were saying, Kev, there's just you know, so much messing around you've got to do to set up and get everything ready. You know, it, it puts a lot of people off. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's still in the early technology. Yeah, so that's it. it. It's not really surprising, uh, but you're right. It it, it is a uh, it is a, a bottleneck. But you know, we can be actually thankful that we have more than one company working. True. At this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. By by virtue that we have Microsoft and you know. Oculus with Facebook and uh, all of these companies, um, PlayStation, uh, Steam, like they, they all are going to find, they're, they're all going to try to one up each other. And, you know, I think that that's really healthy and that that's just going to push the technology a lot further, a lot faster than it otherwise would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially now that it's out. Now that, now that it's actually out, uh, it took a long time to, to come out. They're really competing against each other and, you know the uh, the price reductions and whatnot would probably not have happened as soon as it did if uh, it wasn't for all that competition. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the consumers, definitely. <laughs> well, Kevin, it has been an absolute pleasure um, having you on. What we usually like to do at this stage of the show is just pass it over to yourself as the guest to give any shout outs or. Um, you know, plug anything that you want to sell and things like that. So go ahead. All right. Uh, well, first of all, I want to shout out to you guys because I really want to thank you guys for having me on this Aww. show. It was uh, really fun. Thank you. Uh, it was really confusing to have two Kevins in uh, the same <laughs> podcast. <I've> kept quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank, you know, making an indie game is really rough. And it's really thanks to all of the support that I get just emotionally, you know, it's very draining. It's long hours. I I work 60 to 80 hours a week, every week. I work literally every day on this. And as I mentioned, it's, it doesn't always go according to plan. So, you know, huge thanks to, um, my parents who were immensely helpful. My friends who understood that I 
can't be around as often just because I, I'm working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, big thanks to my my partner, uh, Boroganel, who, uh, you know, we're, we're basically two very different people and he's the, the, the calm one. And as anyone who has seen my streams before will know, uh, I'm the more excitable, <laughs> raging one. When things don't work... Uh, it's become of a um, of a running gag that I start screaming in French uh, when things don't work. So, <laughs> um, but he he's a he's a real trooper, and uh, a lot of what you see in Airlight Core, a lot of the, uh, in Astral Traveler, rather, are really thanks to him. So I'm really grateful to have him on my side, um, and obviously thank you to all of the um, the Twitch followers who uh, provide me again with a ton of support over time. Uh, as well as my Patreon supporters. I do have a Patreon going on, and um, I can tell you that each dollar that I have on there like goes su- uh, such a long way. Mm. Uh, it, it makes an immense difference. So, you know, thank you to to all of you, all of your generosity. Um, this feels like the Oscars. It's going <laughs> to take forever for me to thank everyone. <laughs> And all I want to say uh, to everyone listening, you know, go out there. I, I, I hope you you go out and buy Arlite Core and uh, Astral Traveler. Uh, as you can see, I'm making games for everyone. If you want a long, long-scale JRPG with a lot of story, uh, it's there. If you want something fast, a fast-paced, frenetic racing game, it's there as well. Um, you can go to astraltravelergame.com. For all of the details, and uh, you can look me up on Twitter as well, uh, Dragon underscore Slumber. Uh, check me out on Twitch dra- uh, slash Dragon Slumber, Twitch.tv slash Dragon Slumber. Um, you know, I could k- give out twelve different links, but I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> stick to those three. <laughs> well, even if people listening um, to the show even just go and look up your games on Steam, at least that's more people actually seeing them and uh, having a look at them, even if they're not necessarily buying. Buying would obviously be preferable, um, but yeah, it's just getting eyes on games um, a lot of the time, so it is. Yeah, exactly, and I I think above all else, what I want is a lot of communication. And if a game, if if you like my games, and if you don't like my games, I want to hear both sides of it. I want to know what I did right, what I did wrong. I want to to be able to learn from those experiences, and and you know, as I move forward to the next game, not repeat the same mistakes that i do mm-hmm. uh so please feel free to uh you know perhaps in a constructive <laughs> manner uh, <laughs> not in a youtube comment matter um come up to me and uh just tell me oh i, I like what you do or i don't like what you do and here's why yeah. mm-hmm. don't start um, you with hey buddy <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Well, that that would be the the least insulting way. Uh, I can imagine people would would get people are creative. People will will put you down in the most creative fashion. So, uh, especially on the internet. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, listening to you. So it has. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, so, from all of us, then I'd just like to say goodbye. Ta ta. Peace out. <laughs>